Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Jules Lipoff. I'm a dermatologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and it's my privilege today uh, as a member of the editorial board to interview Dr. Craig Elmitz and Dr. Sylvia Parra, who have both led a webinar promoting new psoriasis guidelines that I urge everyone to check out on the AAD website. Thank you, both of you, for coming today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I think all dermatologists members are really wanting to practice at the highest level and follow the most recent and up-to-date guidelines, and it's always difficult to keep up with everything. So this is really important. Let's start off, and can you please tell us why are these psoriasis guideline updates important and necessary? Well, as you mentioned, the psoriasis guidelines are designed to provide patients with the best possible care. And these guidelines are designed to help healthcare providers do just that. The original psoriasis guidelines were done over a decade ago. And since then, there's been a bewildering amount of information that has accrued about psoriasis and treatments, as well as side effects and comorbidities. So it was really time to update the guidelines. And this was done through a careful evaluation of the information to develop evidence-based recommendations. Now, the committee included dermatologists in private practice and academics. There were patient advocates and physicians and other specialties that addressed these problems relevant to psoriasis. The majority of the committee was conflict-free. That sounds really quite an ordeal to put this all together. So all the more impressive that we've managed to do that. What are the biggest changes from the 2008 biologics guidelines? Sure. So one of the biggest changes was is that we did this in collaboration with the National Psoriasis Foundation. We thought that it was too repetitive to have both the National Psoriasis Foundation and the American Academy of Dermatology provide two separate guidelines so that we got together to do one comprehensive guideline. This guideline included a lot more people. Most were non-conflicted, and there were patient advocates and specialists from other specialties that were relevant to certain aspects of psoriasis that would be addressed better by other specialties than ours. This included a rheumatologist and a hepatologist, so that these were based on a lot more evidence than previously. We developed a new guideline for comorbidities and for pediatric psoriasis. There is not a guideline for psoriatic arthritis because that's being done by the rheumatologists in collaboration with the National Psoriasis Foundation. And the other guidelines have been updated. The biologic guidelines, when they were published last, um, only discussed the TNF inhibitors and a little bit about ustekinumab, but none of the others were available. Now we have a much broader variety of drugs to treat patients with. Great. That's a great summary of some of the updates. 
I wanted to turn to Dr. Para. Your focus was more on the outcome measures in your part of the webinar. How well would you say that dermatologists treat psoriasis? How can we, as a specialty, do a better job? Well, I think we're always trying to improve our patient outcomes for the treatment of psoriasis. And I think over the past decade or so, we have so many more treatment options that we have lots of great opportunities to get our patients better. With these guidelines, they've given us some kind of framework to work with to see, to kind of guide us on our journey towards getting our patients better. Uh, As it turns out, unfortunately, we're not great at getting our patients better. There were CMS reports done in 2015 and 2017 that suggest many of us, or at least some of us, are still treating patients with extensive plaque type psoriasis with topicals only, and that we still have a subset of dermatologists who are reluctant to use systemic therapies, either because of potential risks or potential barriers that go along with systemic therapy. So we're okay at it, but we certainly have room for improvement. Do you think that dermatologists are hesitant to use the systemic therapies because they don't have the information or they have misconceptions about them? Well, I think early on, many of our systemic therapies for psoriasis had pretty significant toxicities and drug interactions. And so when we were primarily using methotrexate, cyclosporin, and psoriatane for treatment of psoriasis, I think many dermatologists were reluctant to do that because of some of the toxicities of those medicines. I think with the advent of biologic therapy, some of those toxicities are significantly diminished and it's a matter of understanding these medicines better, uh, certainly choosing the right patients for them, but that they can have dramatic results for some of our patients and with perhaps less toxicities in some of the older traditional medications. Great. That, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're approaching this with regard to outcome measures, why are the outcome measures important and how do you use the the patient versus the provider assessments differently? So, you know, when we're talking about outcome measures or talking about quality measures in general, I should step back and mention that quality measures or performance measures are part of the MIPS system that many of us report annually to CMS. And so this started 10 close to 15 years ago, where we are asked to demonstrate that we are doctors providing quality care. And I know there can be a lot of frustrations with this, but our goal, both uh, physicians who are working on these quality measures, as well as the AAD, is to try to use these measures to help make us better doctors. And so, because I, I think many dermatologists are providing quality care, quality being good outcomes at low cost, And these quality measures help us prove that. What's important when we're talking about these psoriasis measures, or one of the most important things, is that we as physicians are using an approved tool when we see our psoriasis patients to try to document kind of where they are at the time of their visit. And you can look in the webinar and it talks about the different tool options that you can use to grade your patient's psoriasis severity. And so that's one of the most important things. And we often use things like body surface area or physician global assessment, although there are a variety of options in doing that. And so once you start grading your patient's psoriasis severity, 
you'll be better able to look and see how they're improving. Whether you're using physician approved tools, which are a little bit simpler to use or patient driven outcome tools, the key is to use something to grade your patient's severity so that you can look back and see how they're doing. Sometimes I think we get into it a couple of years and we think, wait a second, did that medicine work or did this medicine work? And, and it's hard to recall back. And so with that objective data, it can help you better get your patients to goal and it can help you along the way so that you know what's worked and what hasn't worked in the past. I think that makes a lot of sense. We want to add more objectivity. So it's not just based on recall, which may be pretty mm-hmm. flawed. So you were talking about some of the information on the website. I want to go back to Dr. Elmitz. Can you talk about where members can find access to information on these medications about side effects, contraindications, dosing? What exactly is available on the website? So the website has all of the guidelines available and the guidelines discuss all of those things that you mentioned, the different medications that are available, the indications, the contraindications, side effects, and who it would be appropriate um, to use it for and who it would be inappropriate to use it for. It also gives dosing schedules and many other things like that. In addition, all of these are referenced so that if physicians want to go into this in more detail, then they can do that by looking at the references that are available. Another thing that is available both through the Academy and through the National Psoriasis Foundation are a number of patient materials to educate the patients better about what is available. Great. I think that's all going to be really useful for a lot of people. So we've been talking about the different medications people use and the information providers can get to better manage. But uh, Dr. Para, I know you talk about prior authorizations. There's also a struggle even just to get the medications. What do you think dermatologists can do to better manage the barriers of prior auths? So this is kind of the million dollar question. And I don't pretend to know all the answers for how to best streamline these treatments. But I do think the AAD provides us several resources that can help. Towards the end of the webinar, I talk a little bit about a quality improvement project where you look at what your office workflow is for prior authorizations for biologics and try to figure out what your workflow is and find bottlenecks or places where you might be able to improve that workflow. I'll tell you, I've been working on this in my private practice over the past couple of months, and it is a real challenge. Different insurances require different pathways. Some of us are using some pharmacies that will help with some of these prior authorizations. The AAD has a tool on their website that helps generate some of these prior authorization letters. And then we have some other websites that we'll use to try to help push this along. And so I'm in the midst of this right now with my practice. And and what I'm trying to do is based on a patient-specific insurance, figure out what the fastest way to do it. But I have been able to get some help from some of the tools on the AAD website to push that along and try to address some of those bottlenecks. That's great. So it sounds like the, this website, there's a lot of tools that the AAD is offering to help members to navigate what's a pain in the side of most of us. Absolutely. And one thing I would put a plug in because I do encounter physicians in private practices and different practices around the country who will often ask, 
what should I do for MIPS or tell me about MIPS or how do I do MIPS? And there's a wealth of information on the AAD website. I think some practices are hiring consultants at pretty high cost to do this for them. And I get with, with everything you do in your practice, sometimes it's easier to hire some of these out, but I would challenge our listeners as dermatologists, this is not that hard. And, and once you kind of explore the website a little bit, get into the weeds, ask questions to the Dataderm or the MIPS staff members at the AAD, I think with just a little bit of upfront learning, you can do this on your own and you do not need to spend a lot of money hiring consultants to do it for you. And hopefully it'll also help your practice and help you provide quality care. Yeah, I think it's great if you can save people money and do things more efficiently. I think we're all just trying to do better, especially in these trying times. So I want to go back to Dr. Elmitz. I was specifically curious. I can't say that I've ever prescribed a biosimilar before, nor do I really fully understand the impact of them. But what do you think members should know about biosimilars? Okay, so at this point, the only biosimilars that are available for psoriasis are the biosimilars that are available for TNF inhibitors. And these have undergone testing, and they should be considered similar to the reference branded version of the drug. So that the recommendations that we make in the psoriasis guidelines are the same for the biosimilars as they are for the reference drug and they can be used interchangeably. Great. Yeah, that, that was just one thing that I, I've had a lot of thought about. Looking back at, at the whole webinar, what do you think the biggest areas in which the guidelines have improved? I know that you pointed previously out the better recognitions of comorbidities or tailoring to patients with specific conditions. Is, is that what you would say is best that's come out of this? Well, I think that that is certainly one of the major things. We now know over the past 10 years that psoriasis is associated with a number of comorbidities. And these came out of the clinical trials that were being done for the biologics. And for example, many of these patients are overweight and there's a higher incidence of metabolic syndrome. So that in addition to just asking about arthritic symptoms, dermatologists have an opportunity to identify and direct patients to physicians for some of these comorbidities, such as metabolic syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, or some of the emotional side effects that can be associated with psoriasis. I think that that is really a very important thing. In addition, when the psoriasis guidelines were first produced over a decade ago, there was little information about the newer biologic agents and the newer non-biologic agents that are available. Dosage levels, side effects, indications are all available on the guidelines at this point. And the third thing is that in the last set of guidelines, there was not a section on pediatric psoriasis. Pediatric psoriasis and children have their own set of issues that are different than adults, and you can't consider children as just little adults. And so this provides us with a lot more information about that too. It seems like this information is really essential for any practicing dermatologist wanting to optimize their care, make sure they're looking out for their patient's best interest. So I think that this is hopefully an exciting preview for anyone 
considering uh, listening to your webinar and checking out these guidelines. I think I want to sort of sum up and I'm going to talk, give each of you a chance to uh, just mention what you think the most important take home message is from the webinar. Maybe I can start with you, Dr. Para. What do you think the most important take home message is from your part of the webinar? From my perspective, I think probably the most important message is to encourage dermatologists to use a validated tool to assess their patient's disease severity in psoriasis and to try to take a look and utilize some of the resources on the AAD website to help them in their efforts to report and do well in MIPS annually. Great. And uh, Dr. Elmas, what do you think the most important take-home messages from your part of the webinar? What would you want people to remember? That there are resources available that provide the most current evidence-based information about psoriasis so that we can provide our patients with the best possible care. That's excellent. Yeah. The resources to provide our patients the best possible care and management of their psoriasis. So I appreciate both of your time, Dr. Para, Dr. Elmitz. Such a privilege to get to speak with the foremost national experts on psoriasis guidelines and patient outcomes to help us all learn a little bit more. And I definitely will urge any listener to check out the AAD website. Uh, I'm sure they can add the specific site to anything here. Check out the webinar, make sure you listen to it up to date so we're all practicing the highest potential. And thank you everyone for your attention and your time. Hope you all have a wonderful day. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.